0: By the end of the year, I could, you know, take fifth graders, they can knock out five to six miles in a day. Our classroom is not confined to the four walls.
1: Welcome to the Move Podcast, where we interview using education, movement, and play from around the world. with your host, my daddy, Brian Lane. Today, we will be talking with an elementary teacher who has taken a very innovative approach to classroom instruction. For the past few years, he's dedicated one day per week to take his kids outside for a full day of instruction. Here to talk more about this from Naples Central School District, please welcome Seth Almakinder. Thank you for coming on, Seth. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, Brian. No problem. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad, to, again, like I was saying earlier, I'm glad to have the chance to talk to someone local about... Outdoor education or some f- shape and form of outdoor education. So I'm pumped. Good. I look forward to talking more. So very first question, how did you first get into teaching? What first sparked your interest there?
0: I I lucked, looked at that question when you sent it to me. I was like, how am I going to answer this? <laughs> uh, it's ju- It's been a long path. I, I, but I started there. I, I went to school for, I got a two-year associate's degree. I ended up at the University of North Carolina in education. I was going to be a social studies teacher. And then I was going to be a PE teacher. And I went into a high school for my first observation. And I was like, there's no way I can go into a high school at <laughs> 19 years old. Yep. And and teach, you know, I can't teach my peers. So then I went back to my advisor and ended up in elementary education. And I I started my career there in 1993 in Fairfax County, Virginia, huge district. Um, definitely had to know how to teach by the time you left there, um, Mm. managing 35 sixth graders, 30 graders in a classroom and never one classroom in one classroom, um, never going outside. Um, and then I ended up, uh, I met my wife there and we pursued, uh, we were getting ready to leave, uh, Northern Virginia, DC. It was, um, just huge. Um, it was great to, you know, to be newlyweds there, single there, you know, the, the mm-hmm. scene was nice, but it was just too much. Um, cause I'd grown up in a rural area. So had she, so we decided it was time to leave and we were looking to where we we're going to go to continue to teach and We looked everywhere from New York to Colorado, and uh, we eventually ended up in Poland. uh, Oh, wow. uh, An overseas situation and spent seven years there. And um,
1: How did that come about, if you don't mind me asking? How did you find out about Poland?
0: My my mother-in-law was a career educator, and towards the end of her career, she started to look at different ways to... um, to stay in the field and stay current, but not in the public. She had put her years in and she had found, stumbled across, and this was pre-internet days, these Mm -hmm. um, American schools, international schools that are set up around the world. They're all private, independent schools Um, Mm -hmm. in every capital city. They were all set up after World War II when our embassy, when our government sent embassies around the world and like the when we got to the American School of Warsaw, it had been set up in 1953, and it started as a mom and eight kids in the basement of the embassy. And By the time we got there, it was a 50-acre campus with uh, 800 kids from all over the world. So, wow,
1: that's um, really cool.
0: Yeah, and it was a great place to start. Um, it was a really solid school. Um, with a great reputation and a lot of great educators from both some local, but the majority were, you know, Western educated American um, teachers. Um, So it was a really um, interesting way to learn. And that's to bring that question to outdoor. One of the things those schools all do is they do a week without walls. And early on in your, in the year from grades, like even fourth grade to, some go all the way to 12th, um, is you have such turnover in your kids, you know, it's an international scene, it's transient in nature. Um, you get turnover of teachers and students, you know, 25 to 30% a year. So you're starting each year, not knowing everyone. So these week without walls are trips within country or within region that expose kids to, Hey, this is where you live. Um, yeah of the local culture, a lot of the local environment. And that is sort of the piece that's brought me back to outdoor education in my local community. Why aren't we, why don't kids know where they live? And that's that place-based education concept as
1: well. Hmm. That's really cool. A week without walls, they call it.
0: Yeah. And I've taken that idea and I call my first week of school week without walls. Um, And I've developed Where, um, the first day we go to the edges of campus, you know, we, we get out, we walk out and we do some journaling, some pieces, we wander our, you know, local campus. And then the very first day of school, I send home the, the blanket field trip permission. And I was like, all right, we leave campus tomorrow if this comes back. And it's the one thing that gets everybody to bring that piece of paper back. And Hmm. then the next day we go on, I've got a short, you know, less than a mile loop hike. And okay. then, and we do you know we build a little bit more. We do some team building activities. Then the third day, it's a little bit longer of a hike. And by the f- the end of the week, we've gone out and back throughout the the local town here. And we get over to the community park and we spend the day. um And that's sort of our we reflect on that. And there's a lot of process pieces, but we're active throughout the day, you know. And by the end of the year, I could you know take fifth graders; they can knock out five to six miles in a day wow. finger lakes trail you know it isn't pa- it isn't um canal path hiking it's yeah it's up and down its roots it's it's four season and and they can handle it because you, you know you build it up to them
1: yep that's great so on that first week of school i would imagine there's other teachers wondering like what about rules and routines and procedures and all that
0: well y- I mean absolutely you're building up all those routines and you go and the first routine you build up is I've got a little orange slip that the first one out the door has to fill out and take to Miss Roxy who's at the main desk that says, you know, Mr. Almond Kendra's class is going to be at this place from here to there to there. And we talk about all those protocols. Um, I mean the only Real extra protocols we deal with are, you know, those safety things about, you know, do you have your water? Do you have your do you have your sunscreen and building those pieces in um, tick checks? <laughs> you know, there's yeah. a few every uh, year. It's getting worse. Uh, we, I mean, I've got a tick wall of fame. That, <laughs> you know, we pull them off and we put them in clear tape and I just hang them on the wall so kids can see. <laughs> you off door. Um, oh, that's funny. Yeah, it you have I to mean, looking like
1: back that. at it. It's funny looking
0: back at that, because that was a big, you know, early on, you know, that was some of the pushback, you know, oh my gosh. I mean, like, well, kids are bringing ticks in whether we go outside during the school day, as soon as they leave, go home, you know, how do you build in that? That should be a general health hygiene practice for everyone in our area. If you don't know someone that's had Lyme disease yet, they're not, you don't know anybody that's been outdoors.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, I know we've, I want to say my son's gotten three ticks on him already this year. One, one from, I think, Naples in your area and then yep. others from local parks, but... Yep. They, yeah, the, it,
0: I've started... My wife has had Lyme disease. My daughter is just getting over it in this time of COVID was crazy because the symptoms were, you know, at first were I wasn't even thinking Lyme disease and I don't know why,
1: mm-hmm. but
0: partly it's they're really seasonally, climactically active. So yeah. they're really active in the spring. They're really active in the fall. And then when she got it, it was the middle of this 90 degrees where, you know, we went through weeks where we were pulling ticks off us to suddenly, boom, no more ticks. And hmm. so we're like, ah, tick season's over. Yeah. It, it wasn't. Hmm. Uh, so to be vigilant with it. And that's part of our protocols and practices of, you know, our routines as we go. I think that that's what you do with those first weeks, and I, you know, I'm our first week goals are to I have it listed, you know, and I post it right on the board for the kids. You know, it's to establish our protocols and our basic routines and our expectations for behavior, whether it's inside or outside. And I do preach that as well, as that's the hardest transition for a lot of them is to realize that when we're on a trail or when we're outdoors, you know, how can they, you know, I constantly say, you know, flip your switch, you Mm -hmm. know. Classroom, and there's gonna be times when it's just whatever, you know, go play in the woods, you know, yeah, back, do whatever you got to do. Um, but then when we come back together, it's time to flip that switch, and our classroom is not confined to the four walls.
1: Yeah, and that's great.
0: They they figure it out, I think they figure it out quicker than other teachers and parents
1: do. Yeah, oh, I'm sure, and, and it's so good for them, like, like we were saying earlier. I feel bad for the other kids in school that see these kids walking by and knowing that they're going to be outside all day, because I know if it were me, I would be so jealous because I'd want to be out there and Mm -hmm. think about how many, I I mean, we can talk about this later, but think about how many kids in classrooms all day. I know even at our school, there's kids with IEPs that need to be taken out for movement breaks throughout the day. Whereas if you take the whole class outside and you're giving them the opportunity to move when they need to move. Yeah, that's that's got to make such a huge positive impact on them.
0: I I, I think it does. Um, And I've seen a lot of positive kids. I've even seen kids and it's kind of unfortunate that where they come in and you can tell they're not active kids. And by the end Mm. of the year, you can tell physically they've changed. Yeah. Um, from the amount of work that we do outside and the amount of movement. And then unfortunately you see them in a few years later where they've gone back to that sedentary where you realize the only time those kids are really moving and active physically outside or even inside is it be through PE is is at school. And that's yeah. only, you know, it's not enough when you're only getting PE. What is that? Yep. Three days a week at best.
1: I agree. And in NPE, we're typically teaching, it's more of a skills-based approach, which mm-hmm. is great. But your approach when you're taking the kids outside and getting them fully immersed in their environment, I mean, that's those are life skills that you're teaching. Because yeah. even now as an adult with our son, we love going on hikes all the time. And that's something that the more comfortable you get with that stuff, the yeah. better off you are. And you're building, like you talked about earlier, you're building that endurance to be able to take longer hikes. And that's so good for your body.
0: Yeah. Uh, and then we get, you know, we do it seasonally. Like we get, um, we get two canoe sessions up at Mueller field station. So they, okay. they do canoe. We do snowshoeing at, um, I fortunate to know folks and work up at hunt hollow ski resort and they've got snowshoes and they, um, actually the, the head of hunt hollow manager, the lodge manager is also on our school board. So you learn that, Oh, "Oh, I want to bring a class up and everything, you know, and yeah, that's great. So they take care of us with, you know, providing kids with snowshoes and we spend a day up there and do that. And then we, you know, we get up to the nature center and we build up to cross country skiing Hmm. as well. So trying to build those other outdoor physical activities Mm -hmm. with, um, and, you know, starting to see back to, your, you know, say, how do PE teachers do that? Um, I, Naples is fortunate. There's, you know, a high school teacher by the name of John Beatrice is, is a real out, advocate for outdoors. He runs an outdoor program. Our PE closet, I dug out cross-country skis, you know, mm-hmm. enough to get um, groups of eight. So I rotate, you know, three groups. I have enough, you know, go out on the flat soccer field. You know, you've got a group indoors working on their math. Which is trail maps and figuring out calculating distances of the yeah. trail that we're going to go on. So you integrate it that way. While the other group is learning how to cross country ski, so the first time they get on them, it's not on a trail. Hmm. So, um, and that's the other piece that I really try to tie in is that it, it is a rigorous academic curriculum. And I think those kids that are jealous seeing you walk out, they don't, and they think it is all fun and games. But they also don't see that the, the writing the research that the, the mathematics that are built in to it and, and kids work. Um, it's all yep. based around a field journal um, okay. and I build it. That's right from Malcolm McKenzie in the eco program at Marcus Whitman. He's got a full on I'm um, eco light compared to what he <laughs> has done. Um, yeah. He's another one that you might talk to at some point. He's uh, a, okay you know, he's, he's very experienced and his program has really changed through the years. He's been doing that over there for like 30 years. Um, wow. That's cool. But the, the concept of a field journal where I use a pre journal where we pose what, this is what we're going to be doing. What questions do we have? What research do we need to have in our, with us so that we can be an educated person out there? You know, if we're going to go hike down and watch the fish shocking. On, the, on Naples Creek, you know, what do we need to know about rainbow trout? Why are they doing it? What are they trying to do? Mm-hmm. And then we have, uh, you know, a field journal, something we usually do in the field, whether that's a drawing, um, writing just poetry, observations, nature mm-hmm. journaling in the field. And then we have a reflection piece that they write when they come back, which is more personal narrative. Um, okay. what did you learn? How did being there, how did it tie in together? And that works whether you're going on a hike through high tour to see, uh, young forests or whether you're going to, I, we take them to pick grapes uh, and how hmm. does that, how does that impact our local history or, um, go to your historical society and go through their old house, you know, and, hmm. you know, what does that mean for us?
1: Yeah. So you take them out one day per week typically, I, right? Typically throughout the, year.
0: throughout the year. And, um, I started with Fridays and I called it forest Fridays. It's got a nice little ring mm-hmm. to it. It's kind of hokey, but it worked. Yeah. Um, and that was just because that was the day that got the schedule and it was kind of a nice feel for the week. You started mm-hmm. on Monday with your pre journal. They knew what was going to happen by Friday. You worked on your research your mapping whatever pieces you needed to have in place for Friday. And then you went what I found was, and I like that as a personal schedule and for the kids. Um, yeah. Friday, then sometimes they just blew right into the weekend, and and you lost that reflective piece together until Monday, and then you were starting again. Hmm. Um, so then we start. Then two years ago we moved it to Tuesdays, just because that's the way the schedule worked out, yeah. and that was, you know, so starting your week with that, and then having, you know. You, you had a school day, then you had your activity day, then you had another school day. It, it was a little easier to tie it together. I don't mm-hmm. know what the best way is um, in that respect. Yeah, um, And that's just, you know, I cleared, I got that one day where I still had a special and I made, I got that special, you know, I worked with the music teacher um, because she was the one that I had that special during the day and, you know, she moved my, music period to the first thing. So 8.15 to 9 o'clock, the kids went, you know, we came in, we started our day, took attendance, they go to music, and then they come back. And then we have the rest of the day cleared wow. for, for ourselves. Um, you know, and I, you have to have people that are willing to support it. I mean, I'll speak yep. to PE teachers, you know, I, I'll call them, you know, they because they take all the fifth graders at the same time. And there'll be yep. days where I'm like, I know what you're doing is important but I'm going to do a three mile hike today because this is the day that the, the expert I have coming in can do it. You know, can I, sorry to miss your class is what I'm saying. And they're, they're very supportive of it. They know, and and it's not a regular, everyday occurrence, but, Mm -hmm. um, and I can kind of justify that I'm they're physically active during this time. It's not like that activity piece. Um, Mm -hmm. And, and how do you integrate your specialists in like, I've taken the art teacher out and she did a Andy Goldsworthy, um, Mm -hmm. art activity. Andy Goldsworthy is a naturalist artist and all of his artworks are created with sticks and rocks. Oh, okay, cool. So, you know, found materials, how can you bring it back and create a themed piece on the forest floor? So, you know, trying to get your, your specialists involved, your art teacher, and that those are, you know, people that you seek out. Um, again, you're always fighting the the schedule. And I yeah. guess the biggest, the biggest challenge is the schedule, you know, And mm-hmm. things you have, I've have things scheduled. And then all of a sudden, I read the email about yearbook pictures. And I'm like, Oh, I have someone who's giving us time. And suddenly, I've got to throw the whole yearbook photo schedule into disarray. And yeah. I, you just got to ask for forgiveness or yeah. try to reshuffle things.
1: Yeah. Um, you can't do it alone. You definitely have to rely on a lot of people to work yep. together with this. Mm-hmm. But I think everyone recognizes the benefits of it. So they're very willing to work with you on it.
0: I, I think a lot of people recognize the benefits. I think a lot of teachers, um, and mm-hmm. I'll speak for myself as a teacher, I think every teacher knows and believes what they do is excellent. Mm -hmm. A lot of it is, but it's you do your thing. I do my thing and I know how to do my thing the best. And we do know how to do our thing the best. So that's a little bit difficult to, to sometimes break through, regardless of what your program is, you have people to sort of look at you and say, you know, what are you doing? That's not the way I do it. And if it's not the way I do it, there's, I don't know why. Yeah. Um, Get people to ask why and slowly get people to see that there's academic rigor. I'll put my New York State test scores up against anyone for reading and math, they're the same, yeah, if not better. I, you know, I don't know. Um, I'm not getting in trouble for them, so <laughs> they're okay.
1: That's a great point that you just touched on there because that's something that I wish more people would believe. I guess is that more is not always better, so you could you could cram those kids inside the classroom and keep them in there sun up to sun down and it it and doesn't mean they're going to get better test scores.
0: No, and you put you take my name off the the top of the sheet and compare it to the next classroom and the classroom across the, the hall there's three of us and it's no different.
1: Yeah. Kids and it's are, not all about the test scores anyway.
0: Exactly. And it it, it absolutely isn't. That first year I was somewhat nervous. It was my first year teaching in New York Mm -hmm. public education. I knew those tests were, you know, people freaking out, you know, August about them, you know, and sitting down in your first meeting, they're handing you piles of these, the data and how, you know, where we did well as a group on which question. And I went through it and I was like, how are these kids going to do, you know, I, I mean, I, I know I taught long enough to know that, you know, you're not going to get to everything you're going to, you're going to teach them to read, to write, to do the math, to think and all that. And they did all right. They did fine. And, you know, I knew that in my heart, but it was nice to be justified with a piece of paper at the end that, you know, your test scores are fine. And
1: it's hard as a teacher because you feel that pressure. I mean, when it, when it feels like your reputation, your performance and everything is on the line and it's based on how well your kids or how, they, how well they do and don't perform on a couple of tests throughout yep. the year, it, it's hard not to focus so much attention on that. But if you have faith in your teaching and if you're given a little bit of flexibility, like it sounds like you've been, yeah, I think you can do some great things.
0: Yeah, no, and I think that's the key. And it does come down to administrative support. Obviously, I could not do anything that I've done without... Um, my principals and even superintendent, you know, Naples is a small district,
1: mm-hmm.
0: small enough district that, you know, I, I'm on a, you know, first name basis with the superintendent. I can walk into his office and he can walk into my classroom and we know each other and see each other. And he's been, you know, supportive. And I know member, you know, people on the school board, and I think you can get to know those people in any size school, but I think it yep. is a, obviously a little bit more of a challenge when you're talking, you know, student body of a 1, thousand, 1500, mm-hmm. it's just, everybody's busier.
1: Yeah. So can we talked a little bit about it before the interview started but I mean can you explain a little bit the process of getting approval I mean you your first year teaching at Naples you started this right away right
0: Yes so um I had to figure out the the approval piece was more you know in conversations with my administrator she you know had faith that I was not doing anything that was crazy unsafe um, so I had a blanket approval in terms of what I could do. I just had to go through the approval process and figure out transportation and, you know, lunches and those types of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was my biggest challenge is like, I had to be more planned out because I, at first I, my first year I had a transportation director who was great, who I could just call and say, Hey, I need a bus. And <laughs> she would drive me. Oh wow! And, um, they would only charge me for mileage, um, and then I would. So that I got into that habit, and then she hmm. transitioned out, and a new transportation director came in, and she's great and very accommodating. But she was like, "Look, I need to know a week out because I schedule these drivers and this and that." Yep. So that's been the biggest approval process. Um, Naples has the blanket field trip in. Uh, policy. So that was, once that's filled out, I didn't have to get separate permission. Yeah. So that saved a ton of paperwork. Um, and then it's just keeping parents informed on that so that they know and kids informed. And and so the approval process wasn't that difficult for me. Once they, once I really laid out, this is what the approach looks like. And, um, I've had my principal out, like I made her observe me. (laughs) I kept really? saying, hey, you know, yeah. you're, you have to observe me. I went going through the whole ten year process and that, and I was like, I, you have to come out. <laughs> um, and that's another thing that I got from Malcolm. He's like, has your principal seen you out, you know, so that they can, when a parent or another teacher goes in and challenges, you know, what you're trying to do, that principal can say, no, I've been out in the field with them. I've seen the academic side of things, and I know absolutely that. It, there is education going on. It's yeah. not play time. Not that playtime's bad because I think that you do need that. And the mm. one thing I like about that outdoor piece is that you can add that piece anytime there's yeah. no transition to go outside to play.
1: You're already yeah. there. It lends itself to it very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was actually just talking the other day with the AD from Victor, Ron Wickham or the former AD from Victor. And he was saying how at Victor they did a parent night for Fizz ed where, I forget what he called it, but the parents would come in at night and basically play with their kids in a PE class. So the PE teachers would run the parents and the kids through their typical PE class. And he was like, the parents were just blown away by it because they're like, this isn't what PE was like when I was a kid. This is great. So very similar to what you're saying about having your, your um, supervisor or your principal observe you while you're outside it's really good for people to see that stuff in action because if they're doubting at all, even if even if they believe believe in what you're doing, if they can actually see it done, that yes. helps reinforce it big time.
0: I, I absolutely believe that, and I think that also is that transparent piece that that needs to happen. And I think yep. schools and classrooms can sometimes put that wall up. Um, and back to those parents, um, I schedule um, an open house parent night within that first week without walls. Mm-hmm. So that I'm very upfront with what these parents are getting into. Um, and then I invite parents every, I do a weekly newsletter and say, you know, this is, you know, I give them the schedule. This is where we're going to be the next few weeks. Um, join us, come in. You know, I know parents, you know, if you only do two field trips a year, a parent's not a working parent is not going to be able to get into the classroom. That's a but good point. if they know that, I've got how many weeks, 40 weeks worth of opportunities to try to pick a day to get out. You'll get them out. And I've had years where I've had as many as, you know, 12 out of the 17 parents join us for a day. Um, I've had years where I've only had five or six parents, you know, it just, that sort of goes in waves. But I think making, letting parents know that they are absolutely welcome to join us at any time, meet us out, um, trying to find parents that, um, have expertise that they can take us out. I think that's, you know, I always look for those pieces. I had, um, you know, uh, friend, uh, students, parent, who's a head of the nature conservancy. He's the steward up there. So I tie into that and get him to come in or a local guy. He's an expert fisherman. So he came in to take us down to the Creek to do the trout sampling and, and so build on those relationships
1: yeah, and and like you were saying earlier, I know you guys, people who aren't familiar with your area in Naples, it's a beautiful area with tons of outdoor possibilities. But even if you live in a city um, where you don't feel like you have as many opportunities to be outside, there's still tons of things that you can find and that you can do outside, even in those situations. So I, I don't want people listening to think that it's not possible to do it where they are.
0: Yeah, no. Absolutely. And I, I'm looking up. I want to make sure I pronounce his last name correctly. Do you know, I uh, heard of Chris w- Widmier? I think that's. He, no, it doesn't sound familiar. Of, he's at the World of Inquiry School.
1: Okay. And
0: he is, um, he's pushing that all the time. I follow him on Twitter. Um, and he is about that outdoor piece, the 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 exploratory learning. Um Yeah. I will get his full name and contacts to you because he is another, he's a great, um, a great resource just um, as a cheerleader, as you know, looking to push that envelope
1: advocate. Yeah. Thanks for sure. So how, from the kid's point of view, how do they feel about what you're doing?
0: Um, The kids in the classroom, they, uh, they really, I think, it runs the gamut. Um, you know, you're going to get kids that are into it totally from the get go. You know, I have kids that, you know, once they learn they're in my class, I'll get a, you know, they've been, they go out and they buy get new hiking boots and they get a water pack and and they're totally into it. And others come on day one and really don't have an idea to it. And that's one part of the piece, the, the eco program over at Whitman that I keep referring to, they, he's had it gone long enough and they actually have a lottery system to get into it. It's not a parent request. It's not just fourth grade teachers placing them in there. Um, they've gone to a lottery and you actually have to apply. The application is just, yes, I'd like to be considered. You don't have to do anything special, but Mm -hmm. what that does is it, everybody that's in there knows on day one, what I'm getting into. And you can also look at parents and kids in the face then and say, you chose to be in this classroom. Why aren't you able to meet these? Why aren't you willing to help yourself meet these expectations? For me, it's a little bit different of a sell because you get families and kids that are like, I didn't sign up for this, Mr. Almakinder. I think you can, You can corral them in and I think that they will secretly start to enjoy it. But the first couple of times they're out sweating and hiking and they have the wrong shoes on and they've got a blister. They're like, Mr. this." I'm like, well, I asked you when before, you know, when we went out, do you have this, this and this? Do you have the right footwear? I have extra footwear. I've got a whole closet of boots. You chose Hmm. the wrong boots. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, you don't think about that stuff though, because in my mind, I'm like, all kids love to do all that stuff. It wouldn't be an issue, but everybody's different, and everyone has different things that they're comfortable with or environments they want to do.
0: But I do think that even those kids that aren't naturally to that, I think there are ways that you can get them into it. And a part of it is this the socialization piece, and they find a hiking buddy, and they commiserate, and they talk, and then you read their journals, and they do pull out even, you know they appreciate being outdoors and as you see them develop i think that they gain that appreciation and if if anything when a kid leaves the classroom and they say you know i know that i like to hike I, that's a win you know yeah. they need to be in, engaged in our environment
1: i th- that's what i think that's the most appealing thing for me with hiking with kids is when you think about a typical let's say elementary student's day how many opportunities do they normally have where they can just freely talk with one of their buddies for a while? Whereas if you're on a hike to get from point A to point B, like you said, they can buddy up with someone and they can, they're outside, they're just talking about whatever they want to talk about without having a teacher standing over them, shushing them or trying to get them to be quiet because there's other kids working in the area. And there's a time and a place for that too. But for kids to have that opportunity to just kind of relax a little bit and be able to, talk to each other about whatever they want to talk about for that short period of time when they're moving from one spot to another. Cause in the hallways in school, you're always trying to keep the kids quiet so you don't disturb any other classes. When you're in the middle of instruction, you want them to be quiet when they're mm-hmm. in the lunchroom, they can talk to each other, but they don't want them to get too loud. So I, I think that part of it alone is great.
0: Yeah. Um, and you know, I think, and then letting, letting them, get to that crescendo and letting them be loud and not knowing you're not disturbing someone, but then able to also bring it back and we can do space and pace and I can put my hand up and we're not going to hear anything but birds and wind Mm -hmm. trees for the next Either we'll be moving, or we'll pick a time, and they can bring it back to that. And that whole mindfulness piece is built in. Um, I think the more we look at the the mind body relationship in these kids, and the levels of stress and anxiety that kids um, are reporting, uh, I think outdoor space has been proven that it doesn't hurt it. You know, you yep. know, you, but it helps it. I believe in terms yep. of a kid able to find that. Um, space out there and you know, I'm seeing kids that are just so wound up that you know they can't do anything but twirl around a tree yeah you know? but it, to give them that space to do that and have them try to bring some calm in and it's kind of relaxing and in, you know to see kids spread out on a forest floor all in their own space
1: yeah And that's, that's what I wanted to ask next was um just what differences do you see it between when they're in the classroom with you versus when they're outside um,
0: you know that's a, I don't know I, I know there are some kids that I and you know enjoy more outside than I mm-hmm. do in the classroom. I think you know you all had that kid and I realize that he'll he or she will drive you crazy you know in the classroom because they can't but then you get out on the trail or in the woods. And you're like, I want to stand, I want to be next to you here. Whereas in the classroom, I'm trying to get as far away can <laughs> say that, yeah. but you, you, have oh, built, I get it. you build a different relationship with these kids and you see them in different settings. And I think it helps your perspective on them in mm-hmm. terms of, of, of what their, you know, their strengths, their weaknesses, just, um, Getting to know them better and in a different light, which is what it, when I was teaching overseas at one point, I got the opportunity to teach sixth grade and I taught sixth grade math and sixth grade PE at the same time. So I had I would go from a period with a math class and that same group of kids and I take out onto the field for PE. And it was such a great way to see kids in yeah. different venues and you learn to appreciate them more in that other venue. Hmm. where they may struggle a little bit more because you had a kid that excelled in math but really had a hard time on the soccer field or throwing a rugby but then you had a kid that would excel as a triathlete but then you bring them into the classroom in math and they're like oh I just don't get it so how can you build on what they do well to help them find success in other areas and I think that that's an important piece as well
1: yeah that's a great perspective to have on that that I wish more of us could get to seeing them in both of those areas or obviously it doesn't have to be PE in a classroom subject, but anything.
0: Yep. No, it it could be in the arts or the music, you know, how do you integrate, you know, we talk about integration. I think that that's aspect of it is, you know, to integrate your learning and then to see kids in those different fields and, um, you know, so when we're in the field, we do a lot of writing, even if it's crea- it's poetry and you get those writers that they may have not enjoyed the hike to get there. But boy, do they once they're there that they, they can write and they can share and they can express themselves and you build on that.
1: Mm-hmm. So let's say we have people listening to this that are intrigued by it. They've wanted to do this for a while. What would you recommend should be some of their first steps in trying to start a program like you have?
0: Um. I think you got to, I mean, I think you have to try something a little bit uncomfortable. Um, Mm -hmm. one of the things I said in my interview to get this position, just a classroom position is like, we all have these ideas and I know you've got a book of ideas or a list of things that you want to do and you never do them.
1: Mm -hmm. So I was,
0: one of the things I wanted, I told in the interview is that I want to do some of the things that I say I'm going to do, or I thought about doing and just see what happens with it. Um, So, but back to that question, like nuts and bolts, how are you going to do it? I would definitely have a plan. You know, it's not just, it's not a a wing it. Um, I'm a trail runner. So I I get out and I go to all these places and I'll be going and I'll find a place. Say This is a place I want to come back to. So how can I get us back to it? What's it going to be like? Is it just, we're going to walk out and sit and write. Um, So know where you're going to go um, with it, um, mm-hmm. and sort of look, look small, look short, um, in terms, I mean, short, like, what can I get to by just walking out my door? Um, is it that my school has a nature trail that's part of a cross country course? Um, I think yeah. I red it like that, or how can I get to the canal if I walk, you know, are there sidewalks all the way? Um, what can I do to sort of push out and spiral out where you are and I think that you have to be a little bit creative in terms of knowing but if you know your place you, you know whether it's a local history piece um, I just had that I had a con some uh, sixth grade teacher from Leroy contacted me and he's like I'm looking to get out I'm a little nervous about sixth graders in the classroom this yep. coming up, uh, pandemic uh, teaching which I think is a perfect it's a disruptive event so use that disruptive event to try something
1: yep I agree.
0: Um and so I just went to the Leroy uh, virtual tour of Leroy um you know just internet search and it's a canal town and oh my gosh yep. how much history is in a canal town you've got a path for sure you can yep. get to. um and then how can you um leverage your place into these pieces um I think every place can be done and you can walk to a lot of these places. I say that even if you gave me zero money for transportation, I could do 80% of the activities outdoors that I do just by Naples alone. Yeah. Um,
1: and I think most people could. Uh, honestly, if you're creative enough with the environment you have, I think you could do that.
0: Yeah. Um, I'll also do like um, one-way drop-offs. So it only cost me 20 bucks versus 40 bucks for hmm. a bus. You know, yeah. so it can take you further out, saves you time at the beginning, and you know you can get further out and then walk back. Um,
1: Do you so, have to get those expenses approved well ahead of time? Then I know you that
0: transportation piece we talked about earlier. You know the the um, getting things approved. Yeah, um, I get that approved. My principal and I should know the fund, but it doesn't come out of. Field trip activity. It comes out of my classroom. It comes out of, you know, educational money, not yep. um, field trip money, because that's the first stuff that gets cut in any, you know, we're going to come back to and then first people are going to lament. We don't have any money for field trips. Yep. No, you don't have any money for field trips, but you do have money for learning experiences. And this is a field based learning experience. So it just has to be labeled a little bit different. Yeah. Get that approval. And As long and I'll even do pickup and drop off because then the big expense becomes paying a bus driver for the six hours that they sit there. So I found that it's cheaper to do they drop you off and they pick you up. Go back to the bus garage because it's all local trips. Um I would love to get to uh there's a Smithsonian museum in Corning that's free, but you're paying over 120 bucks for that one experience because you got to pay it's transportation. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I would love to get kids to Montezuma because that's a huge important flyway. And we do a big project feeder watch through Cornell lab citizen science stuff. It'd be awesome to go there. It's just not worth, I can do five local trips within a 10 mile radius versus one 50 miles. So, you know, future program you know I would love to have the budget to to push out further mm-hmm. right now it's uh the longest bus ride we take is you know 15 20 minutes hmm.
1: honestly that I think that's good advice even for local parents I mean you think about I feel like when we talk about places to go and even in New York you think about all those big name places like that where you really want to go there but it takes longer to get there. It's a little more expensive. But if we looked at our immediate surroundings, there's a lot of really cool places and things that we can do right near where we are so that we can do things more often instead of just waiting until that one big trip every once in a while.
0: And the other thing I like about that is we have a little spot that we go to and we'll be on this, we'll be at this one spot to write. We'll be there six times during the year. And Hmm. how is it, you know, and kids like, I don't know what to write. And I'm like, well, how is it different than the last time you were here? And that's just a very simple. Go. They go back and they'll go through their journal and say, oh, I, we were here on May 13th. What's it like now? Or yeah. November, what's it like in May? Um, just those pieces to get kids to observe. And then you can take those observations. You know, we do a protocol. I see, I think, I wonder. And sometimes I'll change it to, I hear, I think, I wonder. And just give them uh-huh. a, sort of I let like them go with it or i feel you could do that in pe you know mm-hmm. um an activity well how did it feel what do you think and what do you wonder about it you know
1: um, yeah oh, that's so, really good definitely going to steal that one so thank you <laughs>
0: yeah oh, go for it i mean these are all things that i found just different protocols that are out there you know from other teachers that's not a unique thing i who you follow. Um, I'm on Twitter and I follow some educators that I, you know, love what they post and use it, read it and, and yeah. incorporate it into your own, own plans and, and the, your approach to it.
1: Okay. All right. Well, one last question before we sign off then. I know you have a huge transition that you're about to make. You were actually supposed to leave a few days ago, right? To go to Bangladesh to teach.
0: Yeah. Um, we... Uh, my wife is a director of technology at the American international school of DACA. Um, I mentioned Warsaw, Poland, DACA, the DACA school is the same situation. It's about at this point, it's, it's lost some students due to, you know, everything's in flux, but it's an American international school. It's been there since the fifties. It's about 400 kids right now. Um, And after Poland, we moved to um, we spent a year in Syria and then four years in Israel at the um, Walworth Barber American international school where we made our way back to the States and our kids were born overseas. And that, that teaching that lifestyle is um, is a real unique perspective on education. Um, A lot of like-minded educators, um, you know, you can be somewhat progressive because they are independently operated. When people Mm -hmm. ask about the schools, I say it's, it would be like taking the Harley school, the big ones, and dropping it into a capital city around the world. They're private. They're independent. You have kids that pay $35,000 a year to go to sixth grade. It's wow. it's crazy. And then you have you know, your embassy parents um, that have their kids um, with them on post. So it's, it's a whole different world of teaching. And then you're out in there in the local communities as much as you can get. Um, Mm -hmm. and we decided that we would try this, uh, this new posting here, uh, came up for her. She was in transition with her position and, um, we said, well, let's give it a try. And, um, she's already been there. They, she went with my son. He's doing the IB program, the international baccalaureate program. So he left as a, so he did his junior year there last year and his senior year will be this year. Um, myself and my, our daughter stayed she finished eighth grade and i had um i stayed for another year to wrap a few things up at naples and applied for a leave of absence and they've granted it which is I, i'm super fortunate especially now with not knowing kind of what's going on um yeah. so i a two-year contract okay. to, um fourth grade in Dhaka, Bangladesh, and I'm really, you know, we're going into pandemic teaching. It's going to we're starting all remote virtual learning. Okay. They've got it set up at, in phases. So by hope, you know, who knows what's going to happen. I, you know, I think we're prepared to teach online. Um yeah. even in a perfect situation. Um I was somewhat nervous because I'm trying to figure out how are you going to do like I said, I you can do this program anywhere. Well, I'm going to figure out, you know, how do you do it in a almost subtropical city of 22 million people yeah. when your only green space is a, you know, a patch where this school is? Yeah. You know, That's how are you... Interesting it. challenge. So that was going to be a challenge for me um, personally, you know, to, to go from Naples, New York to Dhaka, Bangladesh. But I think that the, um, the experience is what we were looking for to get our kids back out and to, yeah. you know, I think every time you change and move and try a new, um, new experience you learn and you get better as a, as a educator. And I'm a better educator today because of what I did last year at Naples. And I'll be a better educator for what I go ahead and, and try here. So it'll be a whole new experience and we'll see how it goes. Um, the whole COVID thing has really changed, added a lot of unknown.
1: Yeah. How was that when uh, you and your wife and your son were separated there? When they, all
0: that happened? So they started the year and everything started, you know, as well as we were going to do, um, as well as expected. We knew that it was going to be those international calendars are set up. So you're basically six weeks on and then at least a week off, six weeks on, three weeks at Christmas. So it, it has a nice rhythm and everybody travels and, and gets out. And we had it, They were going to come back in October. Then they came back at Christmas. We were going to go in the spring. And then, of course, it all hit and they got evacuated. They got out um, early March. They made their way back to the States and they both finished their school years remotely. Oh, okay. From Naples. Um, So that was uh, a challenge for all of us. But uh, we got a gift of time. You know, we had that time with family. We we're very fortunate to be in a safe place and, you know, in and being able to be together.
1: Hmm. All right. Well, thank you very much for uh, taking the time out to talk to us, Seth. I don't know if you want to do you want to share your email and uh, Twitter name.
0: Sure. I'm, I'm at Sal McKinder on Twitter and it's and That's also um, salmckinder at gmail.com is my personal email. And I would be happy to, uh, to speak with anyone that's interested or wants to continue a conversation or share some resources on how to, um, to keep kids moving and engaged. And I think that that engagement is the piece, you know, how do you get your kids to buy in? And every one of us has to have sort of a trick or a way, and I don't want to call it a trick so to speak but you know every teacher has a way to try to get kids to engage and buy in and i've just sort of found that i enjoy myself the the outdoor piece and the movement piece um so
1: yeah i think people will find will resonate with that too
0: all right i appreciate it brian thanks so much for your time